Good day, Mr. McLean. Hey, Don, Howdy. how are you doing? Good. Pleasure. Doing well, to... how, are, how are you? Good. Good. Pleasure to speak to you. It's a, it's a great honor. Um, well, that's very nice of you to say that. Thank you. So, yeah. So, um, Jeremy, uh, I'll let, uh, it, let, let, let's get, let's get going. Yeah. Let's get right into it. You know, the national, the day the music died day is coming up February 3rd, you know, to commemorate the big day, Don McLean's kind of re-recorded a new version of uh, an American classic at this point. American pie came out 50 years ago. Welcome to the show. Don McLean. How you doing? Thanks for, thanks for having me, man. American legend. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so, so let's get into the into this new version. What what inspired you to um, cut it again and 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 revisit it? Oh, it's really um, this group, Home Free, yeah. uh, is an acapella group. It's their song. It's their performance. I just do sort of a cameo at the front and the end, and I'm in the their video. But they wanted to do it, and they asked if I would like to participate, and I said sure. And it turned out, I think, it turned out very well. Yeah, I, I agree too. So, just to, you know, I, I'm in my fifties. Jeremy's in his twenties, and yet here we are, all these years apart, and we still know this song, and it still resonates with both of us. And we're still talking about it, you know. And we're still talking about it. So, so what was it about this one particular song that just has taken a nation and, and inspired all these musicians? And just you know, hey, we love well, this. Um, Rock and roll, you know, has gone from being um, something like uh, hula hoops um, <laughs> and things like that for kids, and it's become a religion. And uh, American Pie helped actually cause that to happen uh, in a way because of the way that the death of Buddy Holly was treated in the song and I did this because of my, I guess, Catholic background and uh, the fact that I saw these large images, um, biblical almost, and wanting to write a large song about the United States, never realizing that all this would happen, of course. Right. It played right into the hands of, of this growing uh, religiosity of rock and roll. And so all of, all of a sudden you have this this trio of, of people who died in these very sad circumstances in this cornfield, in this godforsaken place, doing this awful tour with a, you know, um, and it's a little window into that. And all of a sudden, and the thing about it is that R Rolling Stone immediately attacked me. Mm. Attacked me for, yeah, because I was somehow on their turf. You know, they were going to decide what the religion of rock and roll was and how it how a little smart ass like me could come up and write this song. They didn't want that, you know? <laughs> so uh, I always, I always thought that Jan Winter could go fuck himself, you know? And I thought I'm going to outlive that song, bitch. And I have <laughs> not with Rolling Stone anymore from what I understand. But anyway, well, they've uh, totally jumped the shark since, you know, originally starting what their original mandate was. Now they're just the complete opposite. Well, let me stop you one second here. As a Kiss fan back in the 70s and 80s, Rolling Stone was never relevant because they just ignored all the popular bands. It was all about giving Yoko Ono five stars on every album. Not God you, bless her. I love Yoko. But do, do you remember the when they were like a tabloid? Yes, I do. Folded over. Uh, that was a common way. You know, that's how they started. Those were good articles that they used to write in, in those days. They were in depth and and fun and they were you know hippie and kind of uh 
Right. You know, good. I like I like that. And I was, you know, obviously hurt, you know, when they attacked me. But I realized that it's my big mouth, you know, that always gets me in trouble, you know, saying things I shouldn't and doing things maybe I shouldn't do. And um, so that was encapsulated uh, in that song. They were like the TMZ, but of the day. Yeah. And and, and as soon as you become as soon as you became popular, they hated you. So uh, they, they never really, wanted to deal with Alice Cooper. They never wanted to deal with Kiss. They never, you know, it's just like, they, oh, come on, get over it. But they liked uh, Cat Stevens so much, you know, <laughs> and I could never figure that out. But I, I heard his records. In fact, my record producer came to my little house, which I had, a, I bought a, one of the great things that happened with American Pie is that I was able to buy my own house. Mm. And I, once I had that, I said, I don't have to, I don't care about anything. You know, they can't ever turn me out. Uh, the, the, the taxes were real low, like 3000 a year. And I can live here. And I had lots of room space. I had four acres. I could shoot my gun off. I built a barn and ride horses up in the hills, you know. Nice. I really didn't care about show business after that because I had everything I wanted. And my man came up, uh, Ed Freeman, and uh, he brought a Cat Stevens record with him. And he said... Um, you know, you're in kind of a renaissance. Do you realize you're part of something that's going on? Of course, I was always, I wasn't aware of that or care. I didn't care. I was always interested in my own ideas and that was all and still mm. am. And, but I listened to the records that Cat Stevens made. And I thought, wow, you know, he made good records. But as I got down the road and listened to the words, it was like, it was almost like children's songs or something. You know, the words were not really this. The, it's, it's what I'm trying to say to you guys. And you, you love records. I know both of you do it. Sometimes the record can make a, a, a nothing lyric be heavy. Right. Yeah. You know yeah. I mean? Of course. I mean, you got like a nice guitar part under it. I mean, or George Martin did that a lot with little fragments of Beatles songs. Right. You know, and well, you listen sudden, to a song like Here Comes the Sun. Unbelievable, you know. Whereas normally if I did that with the wrong people, you know, would just lay there. And all of a sudden it's this jackhammer that comes down. So the producer is extremely important in terms of giving weight sometimes to nothing. You know, in my case, it was the opposite because my words and my lyrics were, were I think, pretty good. And so they carried, uh, that's why I was able to tour the world solo uh, for 10 years and play all the biggest halls in the world. Mm. Um, and, Let uh, me ask you just real quick about American Pie, though. Uh, I was talking years ago to Doug Feger of The Knack. And I asked him, I was talking to him about My Sharona. And, and he said, you know what? This song is like a golden albatross. He goes, it's golden because look at this pool and look at this car and look at my <laughs> lifestyle. Yeah. But it's an albatross because every time I went to the record company with new music, they'd say, Doug, I, I don't hear another My Sharona. So, <laughs> did that happen to you? Did, did, did it become so big and so part of the culture that every time you went with new music, the record companies would say, Don, seriously? No, no, no? I, I don't have that kind of a relationship with... <laughs> with record companies because um first of all vincent followed that you see and it was so radically different from american pie that they knew that i could score from i could hit home runs from both sides of the plate if i had to now i was very uh, sporadic or i'd have had a lot more hits but i wasn't after hits i was after ideas and sometimes a hit would happen um and not often 
but I would go in, for example, when I was in Nashville recording, I had this tremendous desire to sing the song Crying. Uh, and uh, they said, well, what do you want to do that for? I said, because I got to do it. I, I, I can own this song. And so it became a number one all over the world. But people were always uh, fighting everything that I did. Uh, I didn't have the kind of... I was always fighting, you know, with something about every every producer, it, no matter how much I love them, I love them all because they all are very talented in their own way. They never really got their arms around everything that I could do. Right. And I was always coming up with something that was outside of their realm of what Don ought to do kind of thing. You know, um, I think people very quickly realized there was never going to be another American pie. So they weren't looking for that, but they knew there could be hits, you know, right. Let me just ask you about the cultural impact, because they talk about the day the music died in American Pie as as the loss of innocence, because, you know, in, in, in the 50s, rock and roll was fun and there was the sock hop and there was a this. And when those three individuals died and, and the song, come, yeah. you know, it's yeah. as if we had to change music and the fun was sort of sucked out of it. And now we have yeah, to that, sort of get serious. Yeah, but you see, that's what America, the song did. That's why Rolling Stone hated me, because. I was, I was designing the dialogue now. People were saying all these things that they never said before because of the song. Mm. You know, they, thought, they thought these thoughts that they hadn't thought of prior to that. Well, why weren't all, people talking about it? Why were they afraid? Well, they weren't talking about Buddy Holly, I can tell you that. Buddy Holly was uh, forgotten very quickly hmm. by everybody except the Beatles, maybe, and people that loved his music. They never forgot his music, of course. But I'll tell you a funny thing that happened. Uh, after American Pie had this year of insanity, and I mean, I don't want to get into all of it, but it was as if I was a one-person beetle, you know, mm -hmm. people fainting and screaming and all kinds of stuff. You know, I'm a, I'm a kind of a thinker and not really into the oh, I, how I dress or whatever. But meanwhile, they try to dress like me. Mm. But um, what was I trying to say now that was important? Um, that the song actually dictated a lot of what was going to happen. And all of a sudden, everybody started writing that. I don't, right. somebody put the day the music died on February 3rd. That suddenly it came from the people. You see, when they, when they did that list of the greatest songs of the 20th century, there was a guy running that who was a, a hardcore rock and roll guy who knows everything about everything. Mm -hmm. And basically, you know, okay, American Pie was something else. And they went out to all these people, um, people in the business, uh, regular folks, you know, people that ran record stores, whatever, to see what would come back to them. And the bing, the guy said he couldn't believe that American Pie was as popular as it was with everybody out there, writers, musicians, uh, regular folks and all that. So it was the people's choice and the people took things from it and they made a new uh, version of the, the religion that Rolling Stone was trying to start. Mm. They did that from the song. You know, I wasn't thinking that way. I was thinking, you know, this is my biography in a funny way. I'm like a outside looking in at, at things you know, I really don't like participating. I don't have a lot of friends. I'm not interested in everything that's going on. And I don't try to fit in. I don't care what people think about me or anything else. I want, I have ideas that I'm interested in. That's been my life. 
you just want to be you and you want to be the artist and be true to yourself. Right. You, don't, you don't care about social norms or, you know, what the what the cool thing is. You just want to well, be done. And but, that's but we'll be your friends if you want. We'll, we'll, well, I, I can tell that <laughs> we volunteered. I, I can feel that because, <laughs> you, know you know, I'm 26 and I'm working top 40 pop radio today. Right. And, you know, with this big song comes out, recorded and released in 1971. It's interesting to hear about what the music world was like at the time. And, you know, with the press and then the artists and the fans and, you know, well, there wasn't there was there was just barely was Rolling Stone. There was Cream. There were all these other funky magazines, you know, Circus. There were and I did all sorts of features in all these magazines. Yeah. Circus was the best, by the way. Circus was fantastic. Yeah. They had some neat uh, pictures and so on. They would do. Uh, oh, and there was there was New Musical Express over there, and there was a couple of other uh, magazines, and they were, you know, doing a, a great job, but just at just <laughs> energy of this music and the details and so on. Because prior to that, you couldn't find out anything about anybody. Right. Oh, you got the record. That was it. And, and now we find out too much. Let me just ask you about this. You mentioned Jan Wenner before, which of course brings us to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which is this political mumbo jumbo, but you got inducted into the songwriters hall of fame in 2004. Yes. Uh, you know, I had this conversation with Lou Graham and he got inducted into the hall of fame with Mick Jones, the, the songwriters. And he said, that's the most important thing ever, because that means people listen to what I wrote and appreciate what I wrote. Whereas the other one is a popularity contest, right? How it's, important actually getting, well, it's actually getting on voted on by your peers as opposed to just like, you know, popularity contest. I, I'll, I'll take, I'll take anything I can get. So I just want you to know <laughs> that any award I will be happy to receive uh, any award that I don't receive. I don't hold it against anybody. No, but to, uh, but to be recognized for your songwriting that that has got to have a special place in your heart. I, I am very satisfied with, with, everything that's happened to me i've had so many things happen and that's one of them uh a wonderful thing um but you know i'm in the uh, the i'm in the grammy hall of fame but i never won a grammy you know i was nominated for a bunch of them but never won one i've never had it together um in terms of having a machine behind me like Columbia Records or, you know, Warner Brothers Records, those were the action labels, you know, that got things done, <clears throat> you know, and when you look back at rock and roll the, the in the 50s, which is the only area that I care about, really, um, they were all on tiny little labels. Um, except for Elvis Presley, who was on, you know, uh, RCA, which was like a Swiss bank. Right. So, you know, they the colonel signed him with basically a major label and nobody in the majors wanted to sign a rock and roll act. You know, you had labels like Phil L.A. of Soul and uh, crazy little labels like that, you know, um, with all these cool songs on them. You look at look at those nutty labels, man. They, they weren't affiliated with anybody. They went out of business two years later, you know. So this was the thing. All of a sudden, the majors started signing acts and making it a big business. And then the audience penetration to sell the Beatles sold three or 4 million. That was a big sale. And then all of a sudden you reach the BGs and Michael Jackson, with 28 million, you know, uh, yeah. the penetration, the size of that audience grew enormously throughout those years. And it was all because of this effort of guys, you know, like you doing radio shows and the people writing about this stuff and, and then uh, now this, you know, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But I think, you know, when you start inducting people th three and four times, 
that you're kind of running on fumes. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking for my first induction. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Mitch, it'll happen someday, baby. Podcaster (laughs) Hall of Fame. You know, just to go back to the point of, you know, going out of business and stuff, you know, with this whole stuff, you you know, you're trying to bring awareness to the National Independent Venue Association, where a lot of indie venues are really getting hit hard through this pandemic and stuff. You know, talk about all of that. And I mean, you know, the whole the whole fact that, you know, promoters and stuff, I'm just reading in here and it's you're pushing the home free fans to donate to Neva. Make sure they're aware that, you know, just because the Save Our Stages Act is passed, the work is not done. Now, 80% of, of, of 80% of small venues are expected to close, at least in Canada. That's the number. That's a that, that's it's crazy. Yes. Well, that's the end of the whole support system for live music. Um, these people have uh, uh, mortgages to pay. They've got taxes to pay. They've got, you know, they've got to keep the building going empty. No, f- nobody's in the building. And, you know, I mean, even the big bu- buildings, Madison Square Garden, um, uh, Radio City Music Hall hasn't had a show in a year. You imagine the taxes in New York, everyone's yeah. leaving. The, Broadway is going to be gone. I mean, the consequences you know. of this thing are humongous um and the more we we and we've spent i am as a finance uh, major in college i have a degree in that stuff uh we've spent six trillion dollars trying to buy a year to get out ahead of this thing and, and the the debt was two trillion and we were worried about that and we've now added six more to it and the people in there are going to add another two to that and what do you think that's going to make money worth yeah. nothing nothing <laughs> Yeah. So this is what we're, these are the things that are happening while we're looking around trying to <coughs> find a magic bullet. Um, and they haven't got the thing corralled anyway. They don't really know, you know, it's this amount effective and the new strains and this and that. I mean, I don't mean to be, uh, we're lucky because we can have some sort of a, a fun, uh, you know, with on the internet and talk about things and, and, yeah. and act like humans, you know, but uh, it's, going to be tough for people to get together and and there's so many of these uh performing arts centers you know that i've played thousands of them right that, that have been built up by local people raising money a lot of times women's groups you know mm-hmm. will get together and they get, they're good at organizing stuff and they get money raised and they fix up that theater make it beautiful and they're so proud of it you know and they bring in these acts in it's just terrible taking that away from the community you know Mm-hmm. Well, and the impact moving forward down 10 years, because, you know, before the Rolling Stones, before the Beatles, before before they got to Madison Square Garden, they honed yeah. their skills in these sure. places. And now there's no place. So so in 10 years from now, who's going to be in Madison Square Garden? They, they won't. Well, you, you know, won't be you won't be getting though maybe those places, but you will. Because having started out in the folk thing when I in the f- late 50s. Um, you know, people would open clubs everywhere in basements and this and that. You're going to go back to a very primitive form of venue, which will allow, you know, young kids to come in and rock and roll or whatever and cause a little excitement. It won't be, you won't be able to, to take 25 or 30 or 50,000 out of that place or more, depending on how the tickets are scaled. But you will have places where people go to hear something get started, but it's going to have to go like from, you know, once grass has been completely torn up from very dry ground, you know, to start all over again, it's going to, I won't see it in my lifetime. I'll tell you that right now. You know, I mean, Jeremy might, I'm not sure I will. (laughs) I'm telling you, it's really, and what about sports? I mean, you know, 
the, the, the idea of seeing the World Series with those cutouts, you know, in the audience, man, I said, this is crazy, man. Imagine playing a concert. <laughs> playing a I concert believe, like that, you got cutouts. I can't, I can't believe I've lived long enough to see this, you know. I know. I, I mean, in hockey, they've just got tarps here. I just want to ask you real quick, in terms of new music, the last album came uh, out in 2018, Botanical Gardens. Uh, you, you've you stayed uh, active. Uh, there, there, there's uh, been... Uh, what's that sound? I don't know. Uh, it's uh, the Botanical uh, Garden. Uh, Jeremy, what's that sound? Oh, he's Jeremy's frozen. Oh, oh my God! <laughs> Hold on, let me text him and tell him he's frozen. <laughs> what the hell? What the hell? Jeremy has froze. Wow! Wow, it's a Cardi B song. I love it. <laughs> That's the greatest. I have no idea what happened there. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully, sorry about that. Oh, I'm back. Oh. I don't know what the hell happened. <laughs> and you're, uh, you're only half back. You're, we don't see your face. There we go. I don't know what, what the, the hell? hell? It just stopped we, for some reason. Yeah, but it, it, it gave us a great rhythm and a great beat. So we, we actually took the time to write a new song. <laughs> while. <laughs> what the hell? I don't have any music playing over here or nothing. That's so weird. But that was, uh, but anyway, let me, let me just, uh, let's move on here to, yeah. to Botanical Gardens because yeah. you've stayed active every two, three, five years. Mm-hmm. There's new music. Listen. Yeah. I have a new album all ready to go for this year. It's, I've got the songs all written. We're making the tracks. It's going to be a, a great record. I'm really happy right. with it. And we've got this uh, album of <clears throat> recordings of other people's songs still playing favorites, right. which just <clears throat> came out. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm busy. I, I feel, but let me ask you, I'll ask you the sort of devil's advocate thing. Sure. Sure. Why bother? I mean, you, you could go and do American pie and play it 10 times and have people show up, but there's a need to be creative, right? You have, yeah. You, I mean, okay. it's, I have ideas. That's the right. thing. That's why I'm here is for ideas. And all my, my albums uh, have lots of ideas on them. And I feel that, um, you can't always if if you want to uh judge an artist by um commercial success i've had a lot of that right. but if yes. you want to be you know and i don't mean it's a put down but if you want to be james taylor he's even said he writes only five songs and and <laughs> but they're very good songs and but they're very commercial i do all kinds of things and and you know i really can't begin to say it but you know if you look at a song like crossroads it's not like and i love you so it's not like castles in the air i i just do a lot of different stuff and so therefore i put myself automatically out of the big leagues because you know there can never be any consistent hit making with that approach but that is me that is a true me and i want to replicate that in my art and my i don't like to call it art but my work whatever you want to call it i want to be faithful to who i really am what i'm really thinking hold on if it's not art i mean you're not building tables right i mean it's not it's not carpentry it's not you know it's Carpentry's art. art. Carpentry's well, art. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I would agree. How dare you, Mitch? Well, no, no, you're right. <laughs> I think I think anything that requires a, a certain amount of creativity no, is artistic. I, so the only reason I say that I don't, I don't like it when people are too uh, pompous about what they do. I just love what I do. Right. Yeah. I you just want to have fun and play some rock and roll. You know. Yeah. And I want it to have the right feel. And I want it to you know knock me out when I hear it played back. It's what I want. 
-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of fighting that goes on, you know, with producers and engineers and because you can only get a certain amount right. And I love it when I'm with somebody and I was with Larry Butler and he would do this where he would make something much better than I thought it could be. That's what I always wanted in a producer. I hate it when I have to do the producing and say, well, you need to do this, you need to do that. What the hell am I talking to him for? He's supposed to do it, you know? I, that's why I always wished I worked with George Martin because we would have been very good together. Mm -hmm. And he would have taken some idea that I had and made again, one of those monumental statements out of some silly language, um, which he was yeah. able to do. Is that a regret in your career, not being able to work with George Martin? That's a, it's not a regret, but I, I had a manager who was absolutely awful. And uh, I had a meeting. They usually are. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I had a meeting with George Martin and it never went anywhere. I think it's probably because he did something to, uh, because he was afraid of me getting out of the box, you know, and getting discovered by people who could really take me places. He was afraid um, of getting you to be successful. Well, yes. Um, he, Alan Livingston's, I won't mention the guy's name, but you can read it in my Wikipedia. Um, but uh, he said he knew what, how to, he knew talent, but he had, didn't have an, a clue about what to do with it. How to develop and, it. Yeah. And in spite of all that, I still made it pretty big. Right. So, yeah. You know, that I did it in spite of a lot of things. And I'm not, I'm saying it's been a struggle. You know, it has not been easy where you have the right management and the right record label and the right producer and, you know, boom, you're just doing it. You know, it's yeah. never been like that. You know, it's always been like um, arguments and bullshit. You know? It just seems like you're, it's been a constant battle for you, but you've always yeah. come out on top and won, you know? Well, by the way, I'm Scottish, you see. I won't, I won't, I won't stand uh, for Like my wife. There you go. <laughs> but, but I'll just quickly ask you this because. You talk about not working with George, but you've produced a lot of your own albums. So yeah. how important is it to have that other set of ears in the studio? Because, you know, you look at Todd Rundgren, you look at yourself, you sort of said, no, I'm going to control this. I'm going to be my my producer. Yeah. I'm I could be a lot better if I had somebody that knew more stuff than I do. I don't want to know them. I don't want to be the smartest guy in the room. I want to be the middle smartest, maybe even the dumbest, <laughs> but a real good songwriter and singer and let all the smart people. One of the things that's happening to me now is I'm working with some very smart people and they're doing some good things. This uh, documentary and this little children's book and yeah. a guy named Spencer Proffer who does a lot of things. And yeah, he did a Quiet Riot, Basha oh, Records, all that stuff. Oh, we are really passion records. We have so many things that we're moving on now and we're getting them. We've got the money together for the documentary. We've got it all going. And um, so I'm working with people who I can say, oh, just don't do anything. I really hate, you know, and then everybody's right. fine, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's Don, let me just ask you real quick before we wrap up, you know, you were around in part, you were a part of the, you were a part of the golden era of, of pop music and and rock and roll you know what do you think of the music scene today and is there anybody that's you know on the radio right now maybe that catches your ear or well my girlfriend is uh, 26 years old and she listens to a whole lot of stuff and uh her favorite band is ghost oh ghost there you go and great. uh 
I think they're terrific. I, I, I think they probably had a, a bad, bad career blow with this, uh, this pandemic, though. You know, yeah. they were building, they were ready to blow, you know, really, really be yeah. big. Yeah, they were just and getting I, into arenas like last year. I know. And it just, and she's <laughs> heartbroken. And it just stopped their momentum. And who knows what's going to happen? You know, I, I don't know. But that's, that's a sad, they're, they're really a very good group. Uh, yep. That guy, um, the lead guy. Tobias. Forrest. Tobias, yeah, he's he's a brilliant guy. And um, Papa number seven at this point or something. Right. New album in 2021, by the way. Yeah. So by, by them, are they yeah. Oh, I'll tell yeah. her that. She's, she'll love that. Yeah. So they yeah, just I, did um, you can look at by the way, not to cut you off, but they, they just did a version of Sympathy for the Devil, the Rolling Stone song uh-huh. on uh, Swedish television, and it's all over YouTube. You just you type it I, in and she didn't it's like a, it. She didn't like that. She, oh. No, she didn't think it was so good. Yeah. Right. Um, she likes their songs that they do with their band and everything. <clears throat> and I, because I hear a lot of these other crazy groups like Ch- Chain Smokers and uh, okay, Oliver, yeah. Oliver Tree or whatever his name is. <laughs> <laughs> these guys that do uh, techno stuff and everything. So I'm exposed to a lot of stuff because of her. And um, I tell her, it all sounds the same to me. You know, pretty much. It's, it's sort of like... Um, <clears throat> rhythm thing with the kind of a, a hook you know and uh yeah. maybe it'll break down for a second and they'll go back to the rhythm thing and the hook you know it's nice background music and it gives you energy i suppose you dance around when you're <laughs> you know taking a shower or whatever but it's not <laughs> what i do you know well yeah no, it's- but it's funny because they they all have sort of those presets there's a sound on most of these rap songs when my daughter listens to them and it sounds like a clock it just goes yeah, and it's just yeah, like yeah yeah <laughs> And I'm like, oh, you're listening. You're listening to the clock again. It's <laughs> the way hi hat sounds. Yeah. You know? Well, the thing about it is, is that it's made everybody brain dead. You see, yeah. we've got a brain dead audience out there, and mm. then now we don't have a place to seat them because all the theaters are closed. <laughs> so it's 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 not just happened automatically to for the theaters to be closing. We've killed the brain of the audience. You know, I I, I ask myself, where is Duke Ellington? You know, where is Count Basie? Where are these great, sophisticated artists? We still uh, have Paul McCartney. He's still there. He's still there. Paul McCartney, God bless him, is still there and still wonderful. And, you know, and a lot of them, but they're really quickly, of course, I will be here forever. Okay, I promise <laughs> yeah. you. I will always be here with an opinion and, uh, mm. and ready, ready to rock. Ready to rock. There we go. Right. There you go. Well, you know, hey, brand new music video coming out on Wednesday. The day the music died, and check out Don McLean at Home Free. It's available for all you know the big new song. I mean, you know this is great. Come on, it's a brand new version. Don's featured on it and celebrating fifty years, man. It's crazy. Holy mackerel! Yep. I know what it's. I know what it's like to celebrate fifty years. Yep. And you're going to be supporting independent local venues as well at the same time. So we want to make sure that the clubs are still there when uh, everything comes back. Got to have I'm somewhere doing, to play. I'm doing good and doing well. Yes. Good. Well, yeah. thank you. It's all as, we, as, as we say in Montreal, merci beaucoup. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. We'll talk again sometime, I hope. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Sure. Let's keep in touch. All right. Cheers. See you later, Don. Yeah. Okay. Good. That was great. Thank you. That was awesome. Dude, I don't know what happened to your video, but uh-huh. I asked him a question and, and it just started going, like an alarm you know like like clear yeah, the building dude, i don't know what happened all of a sudden that's what happened to me during phil collin all of a sudden like the connection like from my board like started to go fritzy 
So I unplugged my USB and then plugged it back in. And then you saw it took like a couple of seconds for it to come back up. But yeah, that's weird. I don't know. What but it was, was making a weird sound. It was going. Burr. So I, I, I'm talking and I go, I go, what's that sound? I thought maybe it was like his, his cell phone or something. Oh, no, it's weird. Yeah. So there'll, there'll be some cleaning up needed there for sure. But I was like, I was no, like, no, no. We're going to pull a Mitch LaFon and just leave it up. Yeah, well, I'll, no, no, no. I'll, I'll put it on mine. I'll say uh, <laughs> uh, when you do your show, reference it and say there was a big mistake, blah, blah, blah. And if you want to oh, go yeah. see what the hell happened, go watch the Mitch LaFon group because we were having a great conversation. He's like, I'm writing a new song. I'm writing a new Beyonce song as we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I'm sure that's on. I'll have to listen back to it when I get the tape. I, I'm hoping it's there. I mean, it says it's still recording. So well, it's got to be there. Yeah, yeah. So I'll check it out when I when I get out of here. So but it All was right, funny well. anyway. There you go. That was good. That was 30 minutes. That was good. That was well done. It's good to talk to Don. 